we need to understand this strange beast known as the post-pandemic grocery shopper. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. COVID-19 has upended the world of retail generally, and groceries specifically. Of course, the transformation was well underway when that life-altering virus showed up around the world. E-commerce was firmly established as the growing mode of choice for shoppers, although grocery was relatively slow in embracing the model. No longer, though. Many consumers who hadn't previously dreamed of ordering groceries online now swear by the method, even if they were forced into the practice by lockdowns and sheltering in place. Today we'll delve into grocery shoppers' concerns from the standpoint of safety, health, finances, sustainability, and community with the help of my guest Barbara Connors. She is Vice President of Commercial Insights with the data science firm 8451. That's the longitude of its headquarters in Cincinnati, by the way. She'll help us to paint a picture of the modern-day hybrid shopper and the future of that creature and explain just what is a customer-centric shopping journey. Here's my conversation with Barbara Connors. Barbara Connors, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. And thank you for being with me today. What does the research tell us today about grocery shoppers' major concern in some key areas in safety and health and finance, sustainability, community? I know that's a lot of, lot to ask you at, at the very outset, but give me the high points of what you're learning in this latest report and your own research. The first thing you mentioned there was safety. And at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw safety was a primary concern for customers and is one of the key drivers that moved customers to really adopt e-commerce in a, a really accelerated way. We've seen safety actually decline steadily over the last several months and really starting its sharp decline in beginning in April. That decline is continuing on now, even in July, as we have our most recent research from customers. But it is something that we're continuing to watch on a really close basis because as we have growth coming from like the Delta variant, that could actually pick up again, and we are poised to, to ensure that we respond quickly if that changes. That's One trend true. that has continued on, though, is priority around health. You mentioned health. Mm -hmm. We have many customers that are, or many shoppers that are emerging from what we would consider a, a long winter, if you will, of enjoying comfort foods, snacking, exercising less than we were before. And so health is really emerging as we start to re-enter and pick up some of our routines again that we maybe had left off with an increased desire to exercise, focus on our health. And really one of the, the key drivers that we're seeing around health is a desire for cleaner, simpler ingredients in, in the foods that we're eating. That's the next item you mentioned, I believe, was finances. Yeah. As we think about finances, really price sensitivity is something that's continued on. In our most recent research with customers, we have noticed that there's an uptick in customers saying that they are seeing or feeling that groceries are more expensive now than they were the month prior. And we've seen this for two months straight and steadily increase. So 
concern over finances is certainly top of mind for many shoppers, and it's causing them to take a closer look at their budgets and where they spend their money. Sustainability was another one. Yeah, so sustainability is a sustained trend as well for for key customers. It's not as widespread, but we are seeing that one in four customers is more conscious of packaging waste. One in three customers is more conscious of food waste, and many are combating food waste by saving food, reusing food in their pantry, making the most out of what they already have in-house. Community was the next trend you had asked about, and this is really one of the positive impacts that's come out of the last 18 months or so is that customers are really saying, well, I want to focus and prioritize on buying locally made products and local brands and supporting their community in different ways based on what they put in their shopping basket. And we're seeing that one in three shoppers are saying this is a a priority for me, and nearly everyone that's done it said, this is actually a trend that I'm going to continue and a priority that I'm going to continue on. And this is a shift that I'm making for the long term. That's very interesting. A lot of the things that you just detailed kind of point to the question of brand loyalty. And I'm wondering how that is shifting in light of these uh, changing customer sentiment. Is this a threat to traditional brands? It could be. Customers are placing more emphasis on what they buy and are looking for more of an emotional connection that they have with the brands that they choose to spend their money against. And so one threat could be prioritization of brands that are locally made, but really national brands have a real opportunity to play here by ensuring that when they're marketing to customers and talking about why you should love or engage in a brand that they're providing, it's increased the need for brands to focus on some of those non-functional aspects of their brand, what they're doing to support the community, what they stand for, what their brand identity is and and corporate priorities and role around social responsibility can all be things that people resonate with and say, that's a brand that I want to self-identify with. And I'm going to buy them and be loyal to them, not just because I love how this tastes, but because I love that brand. And the same connection that we can have with local brands is something you can absolutely have with national brands. But it it forces all of us to up our game around what we talk about and how we present ourselves and how we show up and, and why we deserve to be in someone's consideration set. Obviously, an opportunity as well as a threat. Maybe the two go hand in hand these days. I don't know. Uh, let me back up for a moment, Barb, because I'm fascinated by the idea that you know, how do we know what we know these days? Uh, what kind of data science is available to us that wasn't in the past? I, I feel like we the intelligence is a lot more now. Is, is that, in fact, the case? Certainly. So data has steadily increased over the last decade. What has also increased as we have the adoption of e-commerce is a whole new set of data around omni-channel shopping. With the onset of digital shopping, that also comes with new data around clickstream behavior. So not only do we know what people buy and what they put in their basket, but if you think back to when people were really just shopping in stores, we didn't necessarily know what order they were putting items in their basket and what path they were taking. And we can understand that via clickstream data because we can 
identify exactly as you're adding items into your online cart, how you're doing that, how you're building that. So it gives us a whole new lens into passive purchase and that shopping experience that we didn't have before. You can certainly take those learnings and apply it to macro-level purchase behavior and, and understand the total shopping experience, but it, it really is a, a unique data set that now is available to us that really didn't exist before because the customer behavior and the experience didn't exist before. Well, that leads into my next question, and that is a phrase that keeps popping up these days, and that is a the customer-centric shopping journey. What does that mean to you, and how are retailers achieving that or striving to achieve it? The customer-centric shopper journey is predicated by really understanding the customer. And so what we do is make sure that as we are designing any customer experience, it is grounded in what customers are actually doing, what they prioritize, and what they're looking for from a, a brand or a retailer. And if you translate that into developing a, a customer-centric shopper journey, translate that into the combination of what data you have and what assets you have available to customize and serve up to customers. So as you think about the e-commerce experience, that can come to play in a couple different ways. So personalization is one key area. So if we know exactly what someone has put in their basket before, we can serve that up in a personalized way in something like start your cart. So as you come to the site, your site experience is personalized exactly to you. The second way you can do that is through content. So if we understand what type of products people are putting in their basket, you can use that to infer what meals they're making and what type of meals they're looking for. So the content that we serve up on the site is relevant to them. We know that customers are looking to retailers and brands for recipes that can help them shake up their routine. They're looking to brands and retailers for tips and tricks. And so even though a recipe may not be one-to-one -one personalized for the customer, we can create a customer-centric experience by saying these are the recipes that are relevant to you. The third way that you can really make this customer-centric shopper journey come to life is connecting the content that you're delivering off-site and on-site. So all the way through the marketing funnel to say the things that I'm going to message to you about as you are just engaging on social media or looking at other sites on, on the internet is going to match what we then serve up to you when you're on an e-commerce site. So customers today are definitely omni-channel in nature, are they not? I mean, the same customer is likely to order something online as they are to walk into a brick-and-mortar store, it seems. There's a lot of overlap there, right? 100%. We're actually seeing that there's a, an increased percent of customers that are what we consider to be that hybrid shopper. So they shop both in-store and online. As e-commerce grew significantly over the last year, it wasn't that people left in-store shopping entirely behind. You're just using those different modalities to serve different purposes in your routine, and you're looking to each of those modalities to add value to you in different ways. Especially as we start to move into this next normal, we're going to see more customers continue to use e-commerce, and we're going to see more customers come back in stores as people feel safer doing so. We're already starting to see that trend happen in recent weeks as really people are starting to take masks off and feeling more comfortable getting out. And what you look for in store and what experiences you really crave in an in-store environment are very different than the experience you look for from an e-commerce uh, site. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of shoppers who never ordered grocery online before the pandemic 
have done so and sounds like or looks like they're going to continue to do so once now that they've discovered the convenience of it, right? Yes. If safety was a key driver for many people to try e-commerce last year, convenience is 100% what's going to keep them there. Yeah. You know, Barbara, it seems like the look and feel of a brick-and-mortar grocery store hasn't really changed that radically over the decades. I mean, I can walk into one now and kind of know there's the produce department over there, there's the meat department, there's the dry goods, whatever. Is what we're talking about today in any way going to lead to a real change in the experience of walking into a physical store in terms of how it looks, where things are placed, and the overall customer experience? And if so, how? I think it really will. So as you think about what people are really looking for from an in-store experience that you cannot get through e-commerce, there are two big things that come to mind. One is around discovery. So if you think about what some of the benefits are from an e-commerce experience around personalization and saying, I'm going to start your cart and help you build that basket based on things you've you've bought before, there's less opportunity in e-commerce to really explore and identify new items that you may not have purchased before. One thing that people really get enjoyment out of when shopping in store is finding new items and browsing and and that impulse purchase. So there's a real opportunity as we reshape and design the shopping experience and physical store of the future to use that to highlight innovation in new ways and use that to really push product discovery because it's something that people get real enjoyment out of getting from stores. The other key thing is around helping customers with meal solutions. So if you think that people are looking for recipes and tips and tricks in e-commerce, in store, we have a real opportunity to say, how do we bring products together in store physically in a way that makes it easy for you to pick up multiple things that are going to help you build a dinner that night? And you can even think about this. We have a increased trend of people sitting at home and making hot breakfast. How do you make a meal solution around breakfast, lunch, or dinner in store? The other sort of key piece around the shopping experience that you just don't get through e-commerce is that connection to your community and the social aspect of it. Mm-hmm. In store, you can talk to your butchers. You can talk to the florist. You may have your favorite greeter that's there when you come to the store or a person associated that's checking you out. And I think that with the, the in-store experience, a lot of what people are enjoying coming back in the store doing is like talking to people and building that connection back with your community, even bumping into neighbors. So designing the physical store that invites people to mingle and browse and talk and connect is also going to be a key shift in how stores are laid out going forward. One thing we have seen over the decades is the replacement of small grocery stores with supermarkets, which were in turn replaced by big box stores, such as Walmart, which became gigantic grocers. I'm just wondering, going forward, if shoppers have this sense of community and they want the personal touch and What does that mean for the future of the smaller convenience store, the bodega and the like? Is there a role for it or are people just going to continue to go to the big stores because they offer selection and value that is unmatched? The value and priority that customers place on experience, quality, convenience, connection is going to vary. So there will be a role in the future for different types of retailers to connect with customers and provide different value to them. The key for the future is to really understand what role you play and focus on delivering value in what customers are looking to you for. It is hard to deliver on all of those things to the highest degree. 
if you are purely a value player and you say customers come to me because they're going to get the cheapest product, then that might be your sweet spot. If you're someone that is going to provide a, a blend of or a balance of value and convenience, then you can play a role there. And I think that's true for both retailers and brands. Think about where you sit across the product spectrum and, and your role in a category. Have you looked into the other side of the supply chain, that is the stocking strategies and the things that retailers are doing in order to keep product on the shelves and to avoid the horrible effect of disruption such as we've seen in the last year? Because nothing turns customers off more than showing up at a store or showing up online and the product that they want isn't in stock. Is there something that retailers can do in order to enhance that experience, or are they just always going to be at the mercy to some degree of disruption such as we've seen in the last year or so? The disruption that happened at the beginning of 2020 was nothing that anyone could have predicted and clearly no one was prepared for. And that is what really resulted in the massive constraint that we had on on supply in the spring and summer of last year. Some of the benefit of what we have today is 18 months of experience going through this. That gives us two key things. One is a heightened awareness that you need to be prepared for disruption like this to happen again. The second is data that tells us when this disruption happens, this is how customers behave. This is where the demand is going to spike first. What we were able to do in the beginning of the pandemic is even track this based on geography. If you had different states imposing different restrictions, listing and closing and opening and adding masks and and closing daycares, all of those different macro level changes had an impact on how customers shop and what it was that they went to grocery stores for. So you can use all of that knowledge to predict if something were to happen again in the future based on different levers that, that could impact purchase behavior, this is where we think that the categories are going to spike with these types of customers and it's going to happen at this pace. And so it gives us a much greater knowledge base to be able to react if and when disruption like this comes again. So a hybrid shopper is here to stay, right? And that seems to be the one conclusion that we can all agree on. It sure is, yes. Well, Barbara Connors, thank you so much for giving us a look at just what the big changes are in the grocery industry today and in the age of the omnichannel and the hybrid shopper just a hint of what it might look like going forward. Thanks so much for being with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. That was my conversation with Barbara Connors of 8451, talking about what brands need to know about the post-pandemic grocery shopper. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well, and see you next time.